Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy that you could join us. It's so nice to talk to adults after Christmas break. <laughs> Indeed it is. Can I get an amen? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Becca, um, I feel like when I introduce you to my audience, I should tell everybody our secret, but I'm afraid our husbands are going to know. <laughs> Uh-oh, it's okay. <laughs> so Becca and I, before, I'm going to let Becca introduce herself to you all, but I'll tell you first that Becca and I were on the board of the Down Syndrome Association of Greater Cincinnati together, and occasionally our meetings would end before bedtime, which is bad because nobody wants to go to a meeting at night and then get home before bedtime. And so therefore, Becca and I have spent a lot of time outside in the parking lot of the DSAGC visiting, enjoying one another's company, and also waiting for bedtime. <laughs> well, it'll delay bedtime by at least 30 minutes if you come in right at the end. So true. And it'll delay your happiness by at least 98%. <laughs> oh my gosh. Parking okay. lot conversations are the best. They are parking lot conversations. There's nothing better. Um, <laughs> Becca, I'm so happy you're here. And you, the, my favorite thing about you is um, your kindness. I think you are the most like genuinely kind, empathetic human um, that I know. Um, and so I can't wait for that to infiltrate my podcast. Um, tell my audience a little bit about yourself, if you would. Sure. Well, that's really super sweet. I appreciate that. Um, so uh, my name is Rebecca Shear, and uh, I am mostly known as Becca um, from my good friends and also my students. So um, I am a mom to three kiddos, uh, Eden, Wyatt, and Adeline. And um, our big connection, like you said, with the DSAGC is Wyatt has uh, the diagnosis of Down syndrome. And then I am married to Josh, uh, and I'm also an intervention specialist for a local school district. And I'm supposed to say that my thoughts and ideas are mine only, and not my school districts. The lawyer and you will appreciate that. Fine by me. Um, so <laughs> I sign all for mine only. Stuff and have to so, put that um, disclaimer on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I started out. Um, as a uh, undergrad, uh, my undergrad degree is from Anderson University. I am uh, in communication and public relations. So I worked in marketing communications for eight years and uh, decided that that was a grind that I wanted to uh, get out of. Um, I am a PK, which means I'm a, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm a TK, not a preacher's kid. I'm a teacher's kid. Both my parents were teachers. My sister's a teacher. Um, and I uh, said, why don't I try this teaching gig? So 
um, I always knew kind of I didn't want to have a traditional classroom. And I had worked with uh, and babysat for a family who had a boy uh, on the autism spectrum in high school and college, um, who I adored, adored, adored. And my sister said to me one day, I think you'd be a great IS. And I said, you know what? I think that would be great. So my master's and my teaching license came from Xavier. And um, so I've been doing that for like 10 years now. So that's awesome. And for people that aren't in Ohio or whose um, states don't call them intervention specialists, that just means special ed teacher. So that's what Ohio calls them. Um, so Becca, I think kind of the coolest thing about having you on the podcast is really having you kind of address things from the parent's perspective, from the teacher's perspective, um, from other perspectives of people at the table, because truly you can see things from the lens of everybody because you um, collaborate with so many people on the IEP team, um, you know, as a teacher, and then you also are a parent and are very involved in parent community. So you know how parents feel, even if it's different, you, because your um, perspective is different since first you were a teacher. Right. Um, so I think kind of my first question then is, um, talk about the push and the pull of the different interests. What are the principals concerned with? What are the gen ed teachers concerned with? What are the special ed teachers concerned with? The related service people. How how does there this kind of push pull of interests and values? Yeah, um, you know it's a it's a really fascinating dynamic, and of course, um, you know being in communication and like PR first, I think was a super, super helpful way for me to identify the players at the table and just the different dynamics of how people interact, communicate um, roles and responsibilities. So, um, you know, I've worked in, let me see, one, two, three, four different districts total. Um, so it's been good. I've had a wide variety from very um, elite districts where they have uh, a lot of money. <laughs> um, and I've worked in probably one of the most um, poverty stricken schools in the general, in the um, Cincinnati area. So I've, I've seen a large gamut, you know, a large spectrum of of uh, parents, I've seen a large spectrum of, of administrators. So, you know, it's kind of going top down. So the, the principal's perspective, I think is typically um, that they just, you know, want us to be compliant <laughs> with our documents. They want us to kind of work really hard to problem solve. Um, and I'm fortunate now that I have an administrator who started in special education, um, but that's not really very common. So um, many times I've noticed that administrators will defer to um, student services managers or special education teachers um, because their, their knowledge is not as in-depth as um, those people who are what I call on the, you know, on the ground level. So, um, you know, as a district rep, uh, the principal is responsible for attending meetings, providing input, and, you know, signing documents and ensuring that um, those documents and uh, everything is, is in line with the dates and the, the, all the legal 
part of it, along with our student services managers. And, you know, I think this is a, a good follow-up question so that people really understand where administrators are coming from. What happens if they aren't compliant? What happens to them? Like, how, how could they get into trouble and what could happen? Like, why does this matter? So, so you know, and each district is kind of set up a little differently uh, as far as who oversees what. So in smaller districts, the principal um, may play a bigger role than in a larger district where you might have some parallel administration as far as student services. But, um, you know, the principal, I mean, that ultimately, if a teacher is not doing their job and being compliant, that that could be their job. Um, and in addition to that, um, as you know, as you well know, they uh, they could go through due process and and have to be involved in um, any lawsuits that are up and coming against the district. So they they which is expensive and it is a ding on their old record with yeah. the Department of Ed with their state yeah, department. And as teachers, you know, if we don't if we don't do our jobs properly, you know, that can also affect us on our annual evaluations. So that would that could also affect a principal in their annual evaluations. Yeah, I just think it's important for people to understand that, you know, these people sometimes I truly believe that most people aren't um, hesitant to say yes to something or, or have some pushback because they're mean. I truly believe it's because they, you know, are trying to protect this other interest, this administrative interest that um, could mean their own personal jobs. It could mean right. a lack of compliance or their understanding of a lack of compliance, yeah. which is really where the, where the problem lies, that we right. all are kind of interpreting the laws and the regulations and stuff differently. But yeah, okay, so that's the principles. Then, yeah. okay, you're, you're going down the line. Yeah, so, um, you know, then in my, in, in, kind of my building um, and in other buildings, you'll have kind of like an, an educational evaluator or kind of like a, a department head um, or a, a case coordinator, which is my current role. I'm one of the um, a case coordinator for my building. So um, we just kind of also manage those compliance, make sure people understand um, any changes in the IEP, changes of expectations, the difference uh, differences uh, in, for each building or by grade level. Um, and then, you know, you have your classroom teacher, who is obviously the primary, their primary role and responsibilities is being, being the manager of that IEP and executing um, their portion of it. Uh, you can also have related service providers uh, who would be your OTPT speech. Um, and also, you know, paraprofessionals then would work collaboratively with your intervention specialist. So um, there can be a large group of players. Uh, you can have vision specialists, uh, teachers of the hearing of, uh, of uh, hear, teachers of hearing and deaf. Ah, let me, I can never, I usually say the acronym, <laughs> T-H-O-D-D. Um, so teacher of the hearing or or deaf or hearing impaired. Oh my gosh, I can't even get it out correctly today. It's the weekend. And, uh, it, and that acronym is different no matter what district you're in. So everybody else different. is like, I, I can't help you because I don't know what you're talking about. Right, right. Um, you know, and in my, you know, right now I work with both of those specialists collaboratively for students on my caseload. So, um, you know, you can really, it can be extensive, the list of people that are on the team. And then, you know, all of the different um, interplays between all these people is different. Some people yeah. um, are friends with somebody and they don't want to overstep and affect, um, you know, a friendship or they are, um, they had a terrible experience with somebody. And so they're hesitant 
to maybe like, maybe this happens a lot. And I always tell my clients, we have to look to see what interest they're protecting. And so sometimes somebody on the IEP team on the school side lacks confidence in another school person. And so they want to monitor a goal or they want to um, uh, not offer a goal or not offer a service or offer a service. And I, and I try to explain to people that really sometimes what we're trying to protect is we're trying to protect some kind of interest right. and that interest really might then, what they're trying to do is protect the child but right. they can't say like, oh, I had a bad experience with this particular this person, really right. service person. <laughs> right. That's a terrible SLP. And you don't want your child working with that person. Like the, you just can't do that professionally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I think that's important. Kind of all this different push and pull of all of the, the different interests. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sometimes so- I notice that it's not like we're, we're all, you know, all the school staff, um, you know, sometimes people forget like we're human too. Right. And that, you know, certainly we make mistakes. I, I think most of the time when there's misunderstandings, it's, it is a misunderstanding of communication. Um, I've very rarely met ill intended people, you know, that are actually out maliciously to get someone. I mean, certainly it happens, but um, you know, we all, as far as education goes, most of us are in this because we love kids and we want to, we're servants at heart. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't always make us great communicators necessarily, especially with adults. I know many teachers that, that, you know, you get into a room, they get into a room of adults and they want nothing to do with presenting or speaking or whatever. And you put them in a room of kids and they're shining, right? So, you know, there, there are, there's a myriad of, of reasons why someone may want to make a decision. And I've seen, especially with new teachers, um, people not want to admit that they don't know something and they're trying to hide their ignorance, you know, for lack of a better word. So there's pride. There's yeah. pride that's kind of hiding this shame or even shame. Yeah. Shame yeah. It really, you know, stems from a lot of like, oh my gosh, I don't want these people to know that I don't know this. So I'm going to pretend like I do, even though I don't. It's, I mean, the solution would just be if we could take Brene Brown to all of our meetings. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Or to just say, I would like to learn more about this or I, you know, and, and here's a tip for a lot of teachers. If you're new, um, you know, there's a simple PR objective to this is I'm not sure I'm going to look into that. And that can solve a lot. Um, putting things on pause is okay. Like it's okay to say, let me look into that and I'm going to get back to you. And, and if you're parent, hard, I'd rather hear that than a wrong answer and then having to backtrack and fix it. And so parents that are listening are like, oh, I've heard that though. Like we're going to have to meet later because I have to look into that. And what I want is I want somebody to come to the meeting that has the authority to say yes, agree entirely. But there's so much gut in this, in the communication of knowing, um, okay, like they just said something and did they, are they actually intending to try to help? And so Becca, I think, you know, for, for young teachers and experienced teachers to say, I don't really, um, I don't know, let me look into that, but I really want to say yes, basically, and to describe that maybe even this is how this would work if we could do this if we've got the resources or the time or the teacher or whatever um 
I really think that that helps entirely. And a, and a good, you know, follow-up to that as a parent would be to say, okay, let's go ahead and schedule a meeting in four weeks and, um, or how much, or just ask, like, how much time do you think you need? Yeah. Um, and we will, you know, come around Robin and, uh, meet as a team. Um, I always recommend that if there's something that the team should follow up on, um, as a parent that you should ask for that next meeting to be scheduled in the meeting when they say they need time. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. Um, so you, you've you said it a hundred times, but I preach it and I preach it and I preach it. I love for people to hear from other people. It all boils down. All of this conflict and the I don't know, or I'm afraid to say I don't know, or I, I'm trying to protect this interest. It all boils down to one thing. Communication, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It all boils down to communication. And, you know, um, I, I kind of feel like as a teacher, um, I don't hear from my parents a lot. Um, and as a good intervention specialist, I think that if you're doing everything that you need to do regularly, that you, you may not hear from your parents a lot. Um, you know, so things like um, things that I do to help um, with that is to ensure, you know, that parent input is being received regularly, um, putting out, you know, monthly or bi-monthly, um, I mean, in COVID, I think we were doing, uh, weekly newsletters. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, and now we go about monthly, um, newsletters. I'm just about to do, send out my January one, um, you know, soon. So, oh, and that has a ton of, you know, it has information about what we're doing, what skills we're working on, what's happening in the general education classrooms. Um, you know, what, what are, what's happening with novels that we're, we're going through. So um, I front load, uh, you know, that fancy educational term. <laughs> I pre-teach or front load a lot of information, uh, or I try to, to um, kind of, I don't know. Oh, I'm losing the word. Like think about things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and to start the conversation with the parents, right? Yeah. Right. And I, well, I try and think about, well, what, what, what if, if, and here we go with that dual lens. Um, if I, if I were their parent, what would I want to know? And, yeah. and what do I want to know from all, not just, you know, my son's education, but what do I want to know for all of my kids' education if they have anything specialized? So I kind of try and look at it from that lens. No, and so that's my, that's my big question for today. Yeah. And I love to ask this of teachers. I, I know the answer because I've asked this of you. Um, but from a parent's perspective, then mm -hmm. not from your perspective as a parent, I'm asking the, the question as a parent myself, that is, you're a teacher, you're a special ed teacher. Mm -hmm. What do you want to know from us? You know, I have this communication bundle on my website um, that has not only the recommended um, communication that I recommend, but then also templates for it. And I preach a lot of communication mm -hmm. and I um, probably come close to over communicating with my son's team, but my son isn't super verbal. And I feel like I have to communicate even things that we do on the weekends and um, new words that nobody's going to be able to understand in order for him to get the most inclusive education that's possible. Yeah. Um, 
but I also kind of can sense when I am ever communicating and they're like, yeah, 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 be quiet lady. And then I try to back off. <laughs> so my question to you is what kinds of things do you want to know from home and from the community? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't serve a child well unless I'm serving the whole child. So that means that I need to know. And the, I think the one thing that I feel like helps me the most is to know who your child is from your lens. Um, you know, I always say, you know, parents do the most of the parents know their child best. I, um, I mean, unfortunately there's been some really difficult and sad, um, you know, situations that I've had to, uh, deal with and be a part of as, a, as an intervention specialist. Um, you know, but most of the, most of the parents know their, their child best. So I want to know, I do, I want to know, I want to know about, uh, your life and I want to know, um, about, what you think are your child's greatest needs. I want to know what you think your child's um, greatest strengths are. Um, I want to know, you know, and, and some of it that I ask, um, I send a parent input form home. I never, I, I don't, I don't like to necessarily do just interviews because I feel like it doesn't always give parents enough time to think. Right. And so I like to send home a form ahead of, you know, far ahead of time with um, a list of questions and it, it doesn't take too long. And I think that that always is really helpful, but I do, I ask both the student and the, the parent, um, you know, just who, who is this child? Who, who are they to you? Um, you know, their strengths, their challenges, um, their, you know, future planning um, and, and how they, how you think that they learn best, whether or not they like, you know, Super Mario brothers or Roblox or the zoo or, um, and, and what do you see as your future? And then I also try and adjust oftentimes, you know, your fears. And I don't often think that we give parents enough space to, um, allow them to, to kind of share that, that fearful part. Um, so sometimes parents, um, just want to express that. And, uh, I try and give them space to do that sometimes. And if you know what the fears are, it can help you not only to address the child, which is your primary goal, but it can help so much in the meeting, because if people are coming to meetings with their fear and their baggage of experiences, their suitcase of experiences and knowledge base and, um, you know, kind of like psychological health and physical health and all those things that we carry around yeah. with us in yeah. our little suitcases, if they're coming with specific fears and you trigger that fear yeah. unintentionally, um, the meeting could go sideways. And so yeah. it is, I think it's super important to know, like, I'm afraid he's going to live with me to get forever. Right. Well, that is totally different than the mom that says, I would never let him out of my house. He's going to live in my house. And in fact, we've outfitted our basement for yeah. him yeah. to live in, you know, which may also be fear driven, which may also I be fear protect driven. my child from the outside world. <laughs> in Ashley Barlow's case, that is 100% true. <laughs> Josh and I are always like, we're okay with Wyatt living with us for, you know, a while it'll be all right forever we always talk to griffin about uncle jack living in his basement like 
when we're too old and decrepit because you know we've carried around a 60 pound 11 year old for this many years um or or for one year until he turns to a 70 pound 12 year old that we're carrying around um we then we're gonna make size child children like me (laughs) little little tiny jockey sized children he's not a very big jack but thank god because he requires me to carry him sometimes he doesn't require it but you know it, it is what it is. So, I mean, I think that is super, super sage advice. And I always tell a story and you might have a parallel one, but I tell a story about a child that we thought was a discipline case um, uh-huh. when I was teaching. And um, this little boy came to us late. There was a Shigella outbreak. Shigella is, a, a, you know what it is, Becca. It's a... Um, a virus that causes gastrointestinal things that oftentimes shuts down public pools. Um, and it, like our children's hospital was full because of Shigella. Uh, it's also called Shigellosis. And we had a dance that we used to say like Shiga, Shigellosis because it's just a funny word. Um, yeah, my husband sees all the things in the ICU. So it is, well, yes. So, um, so this little guy was out for the beginning of the year. And then he came to us and he just had really, really troublesome behaviors. I mean, he was, you know, he just randomly spit on a teacher or he would use a curse word and he was very, very, very young. Um, And so the school where I taught had, this was my second year teaching. Um, And the school where I taught, he had, um, had very, very old school strict discipline models and so there was yelling there was um like nose in the corner um you know kind of pulling children's chairs to different locations in the classroom and I wasn't comfortable with any of those things but I was observing those things from gen ed teachers I was a German teacher in the elementary school um and eventually this little guy um started working. He wanted to hug me. He always wanted to hug me. And I thought, well, you know, a hug could be something that he could earn. Now, this was my second year of teaching. I, I would do things differently now. But um, if he had a good morning, then they, they did make some reward system for him. Um, if he got whatever, then he could hug me in the cafeteria. And if at the end of the day, I would stop in and I would give him a hug. And it was really, I think, more about connecting than the physicality of hugging. Mm-hmm. But Maybe it was a sensory thing. You know, I'd love to go back and and do this again with him differently. Um, But about two or three weeks into the school year, he was in the hall. I had five minutes. So I stopped down and said, "Um, what's going on? And I looked at him and he was just sobbing. And I said, did you get in trouble with what's happening? And he looked at me with these like ginormous, beautiful eyes. He had the most beautiful, huge eyes. And the um, white of his eye was really, really, really bloodshot and injured. And then he had very dark skin. Um, But then once I was looking at his eye, I realized that his eye was very, very bruised, Um, like around, you know, on the skin around his eye, he had been hit in the face. And I said, oh, honey, what happened to you? And then he told me this story about, you know, how he had been injured And it turns out he had like kind of intervened in a drug situation that was happening at home because his, he was trying to protect a sibling. And, um, of course, 
you don't know, like nobody's going to advocate for their kid and say, Hey, listen, we run a math lab downstairs. And so we might get a little tired. Like, you know, that's not going to happen. But the point in me, this was such an aha as a teacher of knowing, like, unless we know, we don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening at home and in the community. We don't know kids' experiences. We don't know what kind of trauma they've sustained or what kind of joy they've sustained unless the parents tell them. Mm-hmm. Unless the parents tell the teacher, the teachers don't know. And right. how important th- these people were putting him in the corner uh, in the room and screaming at him. Right. But in fact, he was living in this really traumatic environment. And what he needed was a hug. A hug. Yeah. Was a secure environment. What yeah. he needed you know, was love. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine is, you know, a behavioral specialist, um, you know, and, and she just preaches, you know, there's always, uh, there's always a reason for, there's always a reason for the behaviors. You know, there's always something behind a kid's not acting out just to act out. And, um, you know, I had a kid who we were really struggling with, you know, like you said, trying to communicate mom was out of the picture. He was being raised by his aunt. And, um, we found out that she wasn't managing his diabetes. And I mean, by the time we started making sure that he was checked, getting his blood sugar checked at school. I mean, he was in the three and four hundreds. Holy cow. I mean, like, that's like, go to the emergency room right. levels. And we're like, well, no, no wonder, like, no wonder you can, you know, in fourth grade, when you have that kind of physical, like, you know, difficulty, it, it, it almost set itself up as a secondary, almost disability of just like, right. you know, we could, he, wasn't being managed at home. And, um, so once we kind of started to help and give some, create a health plan, get some supports at school, make sure we are checking things regularly. Um, you know, and this poor kid would have accidents because, Oh, guess what happens when your blood sugars are all messed up and, you know, you have issues with diabetes with, you know, your urine, but if the team's not communicating, right. So then, you know, then you bring in your nurse and I had to get educated on what, what can happen when your when your blood sugars are wacky, what kind of behaviors, what should we do? And, um, without that team communication, and, and then we finally, you know, we brought aunt in and tried to help educate her. And, um, but without that team communication, those discussions, like we would have never been able to help him feel better. And yeah, yeah. right. And that's the thing is, is, the child, right? So like, if they can't communicate that they got a new dog, then you don't get to share in that excitement. If, if we don't know that there's new medication, we don't know to look for the symptoms at school and the child might get disciplined or, um, removed from a classroom or something because they're too tired or because they're too energetic or whatever. And it could just be medicine. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have parents and I'm so grateful that will send me emails like in the morning, like, um, we woke up at 3 a.m. and then we didn't go back to bed until five. And so it might be a little rough, um, you know, or I've, I've even had kids that, you know, have difficulty um, with maybe parents that leave before they go to school who forget medicine, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I'll be like, look, you know, kid, just tell me if you didn't take your meds today. Like, I'd rather you just come tell me or a, get a text from a parent or whatever, say, hey, you know, Timmy's not coming to school with meds today. 
you know, good luck. <laughs> um, right. But it shifts, it does, it does shift my approach. Um, it does shift from a position of, oh my gosh, I can't believe Timmy is doing this to me today to, oh my gosh, Timmy must be really struggling and how can I help him today? Yes, thank you. Know? you. Yeah. And so we as parents have the obligation to do that. Now, the other thing we wanted to talk about was communication within the school between, specifically between gen ed and special ed. Yeah. And so we had an experience at my school mm-hmm. this week where Jack, Jack takes um, a, a booster is a new, is an, um, an old word in our house. We take a Ritalin booster. Um, yeah. So he takes Ritalin at noon and we increased his dose over Christmas, but we had to get the form for school because lawyers make people have silly things like forms and um, the, or the form from the a doctor. Class C the drug school. might need a form. Yeah. <laughs> prescription drug. I mean, you know, come on. It's, it's only Ritalin, Becca. (laughs) (laughs) And so the form wasn't in. So he was getting his old dose at school. One of the things that happens to Jack when he's dysregulated is his temperature goes up and guess what? Your temperature cannot go up during the COVID-19 pandemic (laughs) at school. That's an automatic (laughs) bye-bye. Automatic bye-bye. And so school nurse had not said to special ed teacher, hey, we're giving the old dose because we're waiting on the form. Mm -hmm. And special ed teacher was now in the, not in the loop. Most importantly, I hadn't, the general contractor, I hadn't told, you know, the the special ed teacher. So -hmm. what's Jack doing in the cafeteria, but he does the Incredible Hulk. He had a little tiny Mm -hmm. hole in his shirt and he ripped his shirt off and he, and then all the, people in the cafeteria were laughing. And so that was the text I got. And also his temperature was up and they were like, anything we should worry about? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. He's not getting the right dose of Ritalin. So that, you know, kind of leads- grow, they need changes. Yeah, there's the, well, right. There's the bad story. Um, How do we communicate not only about behaviors and that kind of stuff that like comes from home and whatnot, but how can, uh, how can this work well when school people communicate well, particularly gen ed and special ed? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been super grateful for, for communication in this kind of new technology arena, um, you know, is, is Google, <laughs> Google drive, um, you know, and we will put a lot of notes, um, you know, with, privately, you know, shared documents and things like that in Google Drive. Um, you know, one of the ways that we always try and communicate with, with gen ed teachers, sometimes the IEP is super overwhelming. Our, uh, our, the system that we use within my district um, provides what's called an IEP at a glance, um, which just like is all the important bullet points. So we always make sure that teachers have an IEP, a full IEP, teachers have an IEP at a glance, um, and then we discuss with the, with the, with the classroom teacher, what is the best way to, that we can communicate and, and collaborate. Um, and it, it's so important, I think, um, for us to come to the table and remember that, um, you know, that we always need to be professional and considerate, like even if we're not seeing eye to eye. And what I think one of those ways is to make sure that we're communicating, um, 
with the most comfort in the most comfortable way that um, that we can with each other. So um, I try and be flexible and communicate with the general education teacher in the best way that they can. For some teachers, that's email. For some teachers, that is um, text message. And for for some teachers, that's an in person. You know, I'm going to drop by your class. I know that there's a very specific a, a teacher in uh, my building that does not with absolution want me popping into her classroom. Um, you know, and that's, I'm not saying that as a bad, that was a bad thing. Right, um, right. You know, but unless She's it's in like a group, a, don't mess up a group. Super emergency, do not, do not, do not interrupt, right? And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Um, so, you know, I think that learning uh, best, the best way to keep the best form first. Um, and then, you know, we have to um, always take the initiative to communicate that, to, to communicate to the classroom teacher. Don't just assume, um, I, you know, regular check-ins are very important. Um, you know, just as we have regular rhythms within our own life, and our personal lives, regular rhythms within our professional lives for communicating with our teams is, is of the utmost importance. So, um, you know. And so what do parents do, Becca? Because I am always astonished when Jenna teachers aren't looking at the data. Like, yeah. how are you helping to support the IEP, mm -hmm. particularly for my children that have specific learning disabilities where they aren't out of the class of the gen ed classroom very much right or you know some kids might go to speech for phonological processing which then comes right back into reading yeah how i struggle with this myself and I, it might be situational but how as a parent can you say like you're looking at the data right you guys are you guys are cool <laughs> um yeah, so you know, all of my teachers first uh, when I deliver progress reports, first uh, get that progress report to go home first. So um, hopefully they are, you know, they are looking at it. But um, you know, in my and, and again, maybe this is just kind of unique, and I feel super blessed and and fortunate for this. But um, most of my kids I'm in class with almost every single day in Gen Ed, for at least a portion of the day. So. Um, you know, we will look and double check um, their their accounts where all of their grades are, and then um, I will then subsequently share a folder, oftentimes of their progress report um, data. So I can print out um, some of the programs that I use. I can print out graphs, and I and I can print out running records. Um, you know, for some of my kiddos. Um, this year I have a kind of a, a broad range. So I have first and fifth <laughs> grades. So for my first graders where I'm teaching more of that one-on-one -on -one or small group, you know, resource or extended learning area, um, exp more explicit lessons. I have running records that are, that are um, handwritten. Oftentimes I'll give um, at the end of the quarter or midterm, I'll give the classroom teacher those running records so that they can see where they are. Um, with one of my classroom teachers for a kiddo that I see regularly, we have a regularly scheduled Thursday meeting um, that is kind of like a, because a, um, we don't really necessarily 
co-teach with that class, but um, we will do a regularly scheduled Thursday meeting and I will say, hey, here's where we are. Like we just had um, ours on, on Friday actually instead of Thursday um, because it ended up being a cold day and we're like, let's just move it to, to tomorrow, to today. Um, but uh, my big thing with a student was ESY data. Did they have any regression over the break? Mm-hmm. And so we sat down and we went over um, and I checked every single goal of his and uh, goal area to see what the data was after break. So we sat down together and reviewed that post break data together because we have this regularly scheduled communication meeting every single Thursday. And sometimes we text each other and we say, I don't have anything today. Do you just want to wait till next week? And we're like, sure, sounds great. Or I have another meeting. Can we push it back? But <coughs> excuse me, if we have those rhythms set into our schedule and, you know, again, I'm just going to go back, go back, go back. We have the relationship, you know, we've built that relationship. It, it is vitally important that we build that. Yeah. Um, well, and that's, relationship, so. and you know, from a parent's perspective, those are all things that you can ask for gracefully. If you can figure out situationally how to do that. Um, and truly that's the key is to make sure that that communication is happening regardless. Yeah. One successful way that I've gotten made sure that it's happening is I've talked to the principal and said, yeah. you know, <laughs> this is really more, this is not an IEP thing. This is more of a leadership thing. Yeah. And I see a success happening when like, if you can trickle down this leadership basically right. to make sure that these two are talking or that the team talks regularly, um, I think that happens. But also, Becca, I think um, when I communicate with anybody on the team, I always stop and think, who else could benefit from this? So if I communicate, I never just talk to OT. Oh, no. Because I want OT to talk to everybody else. And I want to schedule that. I want to, what I want to do is I want to model that. Hey, OT, I have a question. And I bet Gen Ed and Special Ed could benefit from it too. Mm-hmm. We have a specific meeting, you know, monthly that includes OTPT speech, um, both of our reading specialists in the building. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, again, you know, those regular rhythms of, hey, we may, we may not hit every single thing. Um, or I, so, I mean, there might be a week where I don't even see necessarily the speech therapist because we're like, you know, I'm up way on the other, you know, side right. of, of where, she, of where she is, but um, so yeah, you know, you always want to make sure, uh, especially health and safety wise, um, <clears throat> CC, CC everyone. <laughs> I agree entirely. Uh, you know, the only, the only caution, you know, that you uh, have to look at is, you know, if this t- teacher is not involved in the child's education, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to copy a kindergarten teacher on a fifth grade, you know, um, a fifth grade. And you can kind of be very cautious with that because sometimes it might be a FERPA violation, but, um, you have to just copy if, when in doubt, copy the team, <laughs> I guess. Great. The, I agree entirely. Yeah. Becca, this has been so helpful. I think it gives parents a really good, um, view into the, Um, communication and the kind of inner workings and interests of people inside the school. And I think it gives um, teachers the 
you um, from a parent's perspective. So you are speaking at our second annual virtual and free special education and advocacy conference. Give us a preview of um, your topic. Can you describe what you're going to talk about? Yeah, so kind of similarly, um, you know, to what we've discussed today, it's uh, effective communication for IEP school teams. And, um, you know, I kind of start by going over, you know, what what is the school team? Like who, if you're going to communicate, who are you communicating to? And um, then dive into, you know, things that are required, um, different strategies, considerations, techniques, um, you know, like I just said about um, with that fancy FERPA word that I just said, which is privacy. Um, and then collaboration, like what kind of collaboration and how can you foster collaboration within your team um, so that you are creating an effective team to further the development and progress of your child. And um, I hope that people get some good tips and tools. And uh, I know that, you know, not everybody does everything the, the exact same way. And if anybody's like me, I kind of pick and choose and um, connect with ideas in different ways. And then I'll, I'll implement those um, that in the way that works for me. So I hope it's, I hope it's helpful. And insightful. <laughs> I hope it will be. I am sure it will be. And um, I'm so grateful. Becca, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to no check problem. out the Special Education and Advocacy Conference on January 22nd, 2022. We're running from yep. 9 a.m. until 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't make it, of course, don't forget that there's a VIP pass that's available on the website, $49, and it gives you on-demand access for at least 30 days, usually more. Becca, yeah. thank you. I wish I could meet you in the parking lot. I know. <laughs> Driveway, I know. maybe. No, just I wish my audience could meet us in the parking Dude. lot. Maybe we'll, we'll do a retreat. Yeah, yeah, or coffee soon. Thank you, Ashley, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And as usual, I could talk to you all day long. So <laughs> agree. Coffee soon.